Thanks for watching MTD Business. Coming up. The UN is warning the world's central banks that their efforts to fight inflation by raising interest rates risks plunging the world into recession. The fight against inflation could get even more difficult as OPEC Plus, against President Biden's wishes, may cut oil production. And the UK reverses its ambitious tax plan after 10 days of fierce pressure. Britain's finance minister decides not to cut the top tax rate. We have that and much more coming up on NTD Business. It's great to have you with us. Paul Graney here. The world's central banks have a decision to make, and it could have serious consequences for every person on the planet. We have high inflation. We all know that. We need to fix it, sure. But we're also facing a significant economic slowdown. That means job losses, bankruptcies. U.S. economy possibly shrank for the third quarter in a row last quarter. Usually during a slowdown, the Fed will stimulate the economy by lowering interest rates. But that's inflationary. The Fed and others are already raising rates, and they say they won't stop until inflation is tamed, even if that means harming the economy. But now the United Nations is telling them to stop raising rates. It says the world economy can't handle it, especially poorer countries. A top official saying today if you want to use only one instrument to bring inflation down, i.e. raising interest rates, the only possibility is to bring the world into a slowdown that will end up in a recession. Higher rates can lead to a stronger U.S. dollar, and that puts major pressure on the economies and currencies of other countries. Joining us live to discuss this unfortunate pickle the Fed finds itself in is Larry McDonald. He's the founder of the Bear Traps Report and the author of the best-selling book on the great financial crisis, A Colossal Failure of Common Sense. Larry, it's great to see you. Hi, thanks for having us. Larry, is the common sense here to raise rates to fight inflation or to hold rates low to stimulate the economy? Well, one of the big problems is we have a lot of economists that really don't know much about risk management. And so they're looking at the economy and saying, oh, we should just, oh, Paul Volcker, let's hike 20 more times. I mean, these are really, really um, uninformed people. We have 50 trillion more debt on the planet Earth, five zero more trillion more debt than there was in the last hiking cycle. So as you hike today, 75 basis points, 75 basis points, 75 basis points, you're crushing the inner workings, the um, kind of the fundamental ecosystem of the capital markets is collapsing beneath the surface. And we're seeing that with LBOs, we're seeing that with, you know, high yield bonds, leveraged loans. It's, there's so many parts of the capital markets that are freezing up and essentially the Fed's going to break something. So at the end of the day, the, the probability that the Fed is done is, is uh, extremely high, looking, looking over the next couple of months. So where is that stress going to manifest in the real economy? Well, you know, remember, you know, we already see it, ISM data today is, it's, I mean, in real, the employment data within ISM is in deep recession territory. We've had warnings from FedEx, warnings from Nike, Apple. I mean, we just have all the major industrial stocks pretty much are, are either off 20 to 50 to 60%. So there's clearly stress in the economy. 
So what, where are we seeing it? What's happening here? Are we seeing as rates rise, Larry, businesses have to allocate more of their money to paying off interest on debt? Or are we seeing the interest rates are harming demand possibly among consumers? Where are you seeing it uh, cause problems? Well, think about this. You know, the last 60 years, um, or more so the last 30 years, every time we've had a financial crisis, it was basically credit risk. So the banks, like Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns, had a credit risk problem. Today, you have recession rising in Europe, rising in the United States probability. So recession's coming in, that's credit risk for the banks. But you also have, for the first time in many, many decades, interest rate risk. So in other words, when interest rates go up, bond prices go down. So the core capital of these banks in Europe and the United States is really treasuries and government bonds. Those have dropped 10, 20, 30 points in the last two, three weeks, a month in the United Kingdom, a couple of days. So that stress is, is breaking the foundational pillars of the, of the financial markets, the banking system globally. And that's why, like, like you said, you've got Paul Krugman, you've got, um, you've got the IMF, the UN, um, Jeremy Siegel, in the last week have all called on the Fed to stop because they're they're going to break something and they're going to cause another Lehman Brothers. So are you saying that the collateral that these big banking institutions and financial institutions like treasuries, et cetera, that are getting devalued, receive the value fall extremely fast, that means these banks, they don't have the same collateral. They don't have the same money on hand. Their balance sheets aren't as strong as they would have been in the past. And, and this is going to cause uh, liquidity problems. Well, what exactly will, will happen from here? Well, they've been bragging for the last couple, you know, last five or six years that the balance sheets are strong. The problem is their core capital is government bonds and investment grade bonds, so the high quality assets. But as interest rates have gone up, you know, the Fed's pushed up the Fed's funds rate f since March 325 basis points. That's 3.25 percent. So as you push up those interest rates, that core capital of the banks, which appeared strong, is now buckling. The UN pointed out poor countries, countries outside of the United States who, who can't print US dollars. I, I assume they meant we had Xi Jinping, the Chinese leader, recently telling the Fed to also stop raising rates. How much is this hurting them? Exactly. That, that's the problem. 60% of all trade in the world is in dollars. So if you're a foreign country, you want to buy oil, you want to buy food stocks, soybeans, it's all priced in dollars. So as the Fed pushes up uh, up the dollar in terms of the U.S. dollars being getting stronger and stronger and stronger, that means these countries are getting decimated because they not only have inflation, but the Fed is actually exporting inflation because they have to buy oil in dollars, they have to buy food and, and soybeans in dollars and things like that. So they're, they're getting a double whammy, and that's why I was in Washington last week, uh, met with some people from Treasury. The amount of calls that are coming into the U.S. Treasury Department is just you know record amount from finance ministers around the world because like you said the Fed's essentially exporting inflation to some of the poorest countries in the world. So in a word, Larry, what are these finance ministers saying to the Treasury? Uh, some of the things that they, we've seen in print today, both from the IMF, like you said, and from the UN, that the, the Fed, when they're conducting monetary policy, they're actually causing far more harm in the poorest countries relative to the developed countries. And it's, you know, Mr. Powell wants to be Paul Volcker, but unfortunately we have 200 trillion more debt on the planet today than there was during the Volcker era. 
So all that debt, a lot of that's debt is denominated in dollars. And so as the Fed's hiking rates, they're really blowing up the global economy. And guess what? There's 75 trillion of GDP outside the United States, less than 30 trillion in, so 28 or so. So 28 inside the US, 75 trillion outside. If you blow up the 75 trillion outside the United States with aggressive Fed policy, then that comes back to the US shores very quickly. It's going to be harder and harder for these countries to pay off their dollar-denominated debt. Simple as that. Larry McDonald, Bear Traps Report. Larry, appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Much of the inflation we're facing, and in fact much of the economic slowdown, is because of high energy prices, especially high oil prices. Oil is used in pretty much everything. President Biden isn't a friend of oil production here in America, but he is pressuring other countries to increase output to lower prices globally. More oil on the market means cheaper prices. But it seems the oil cartel OPEC Plus, that includes Russia, by the way, didn't get the memo. Not only are they reluctant to boost production, it seems they'll possibly cut production by one million barrels per day. Their next meeting is Wednesday. The global economic slowdown is hurting oil demand, and obviously OPEC Plus wants to increase prices to make up for lost revenue. That's despite the impact higher prices could have on the world. A cut of 1 billion barrels per day would be the most drastic reduction in oil production since the pandemic. OPEC members will be meeting in person in Vienna for the first time since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic to debate the issue. We'll keep you updated. So joining us to discuss OPEC's potential production cuts is John Katsimatidis. He's the chairman and the CEO of United Refining Company and the owner of hundreds of gas stations. He both sells and refines American-made gas. John, it's a pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. John, what would a production cut mean for gas and energy prices here in the States? Well, I was on uh, Fox last week, and I explained to everybody uh, the fact is there's a struggle. There's internal warfare going on between the countries that want uh, crude oil at $100 a barrel, and the countries that prefer uh, 60 to $75 a barrel. And right now, uh, that, that happened on Friday. And then over the weekend, OPEC decided to stir the pot and say, um, uh, we might have cuts. So what, when you have cuts, what does that mean? The price of oil goes up. So uh, they rather sell a little bit less for $100 a barrel than more for $75 a barrel because they make more money. You're in an interesting spot, though, John, because I assume higher prices are good for you as well. What are you concerned about? What I'm concerned about, uh, you know, I'm over 70 years old. I'm not concerned about myself. I'm concerned about uh, uh, our country, our children, our grandchildren for everybody, because you want you want the world to be a civilized place. Uh, I believe in peace. I believe we should have peace with Russia. I think we should have peace with China. And I'm not looking I'm not looking to create problems in the world. How is it purely because higher oil prices can perhaps help fund uh, Vladimir Putin's war in Ukraine? Is that what you're concerned about well, right now? Well, right now, uh, Putin. Uh, at $100 a barrel, is probably making a billion dollars a day. So he wins. 
I, I think Putin got himself into a bad situation. I think Putin uh, wanted to uh, to be a, a member of the uh, European community rather than be at war with the European community. And I think some of our political leaders made a lot of mistakes in the way they dealt with Putin. Finally, John, we have the UN today warning about an economic slowdown, telling central banks to not hike interest rates. The economy can't handle it. How much of a role is high energy prices playing in this economic downturn or recession that we're facing? Very simple. You can either fix the problem that is being caused by a lack of opening up the oil spigots or create a new problem by keep raising interest rates and destroying the rest of the, uh, the real estate market and other markets that high interest rates is going to destroy. So it's, the, the, the solution is fix the problem with oil and you don't have to raise the interest rates. And that's very, very simple. It's going to hurt the whole world. It's going to hurt China. It's going to hurt the United States. It's going to hurt Europe if you raise the interest rates too much. You think if the U.S. is more friendly towards oil and fossil fuels, we could avoid this recession completely without having to raise rates? Not 99%, 100%. Incredible. John Katsubatidas, United Refining Company. I appreciate it. Thank you, John. Thank you. And down on Wall Street today, stocks ended sharply higher, start of a final quarter of a pretty turbulent year. The Dow rose 765 points, 2 and 7 tenths of a percent. The S&P gained 93 points, 2 and 6 tenths of a percent. And the Nasdaq rose 240 points, 2 and 3 tenths of a percent. And oil prices indeed jumping today after news of that OPEC production cut possibility. International benchmark uh, Brent up 4% and the U.S. benchmark WTI up nearly 5% today. Not good for your gas bills. And the new U.K. Prime Minister has been forced to do a 180 already. A big part of her pro-growth, low-tax agenda has been scrapped. U.K. Finance Minister has decided not to cut taxes for the wealthiest Brits. Ten days ago, there was fierce backlash when he first announced the plan. Today, quasi Kortang said that cutting taxes for the wealthiest was too much of a distraction, which is why he's not doing it anymore. But he says conservatives will still hold the course on the entire plan. I can be frank. I know the plan put forward only 10 year, uh, days ago has caused a little turbulence. I get it. I get it. Uh, we are listening and have listened. And now I want to focus on delivering the major parts of our growth package. In the past 10 days, the value of the British government bonds plummeted, the pound plummeted. There's open criticism across the world, and recent polls showed that support for conservatives, Quartang's party, dropped significantly. Then I have 27% of the vote, while Labour has a far higher 47%. Not everyone criticized the original plan, though. One prominent supply-side economist, Brian Dimitrovic of the Laffer Center, said it was outstanding. But is it still outstanding now with the 45% top rate not being cut? That was the heart and soul of the tax plan. It was easily the most pro-growth aspect of the plan. Maybe it had a competitor in not raising the corporate rate. But lowering that top tax rate was going to be an investment magnet into Great Britain. 
So now by scrapping that, by having a greater preponderance of government spending in the program, it could very easily be kind of growth neutral or growth negative. Dimitri Vick is working with Arthur Laffer. He's the father of supply-side economics. They're analyzing the original plan. The original plan included canceling a scheduled increase in the main corporate tax rate, reducing the bottom income tax rate, although not by as much as the top rate, and cutting the land transfer tax, kind of lower taxes all around. This, Arthur Laffer and Dimitrovic said it was the best they've seen in major nations in a number of years. But Dimitrovic said that cutting taxes for the most wealthy is the single most effective way to get economic growth going. It's the least risky kind of tax cuts because we know uh, one thing about the high earners and the rich. It's that they are very interested in productive economic activity. And we know that because they're high earners and the rich. So therefore, if their after-tax rate of return on making money goes up, we know that this is the group with the greatest propensity to do productive money-making activity. So Dimitrovic says that the rich and the high earners undertake business investment. Banks are willing to lend them money because their wealth is a form of collateral. The Prime Minister Liz Truss told the BBC that Kwasi Kwarteng was the one who decided to get rid of the 45% tax rate. She says she still stands by her plan, but that she should have laid the ground a little better. Many of her fellow Conservatives criticized abolishing the, abolishing the tax. This means that the government may have struggled to get enough votes to pass it. Prominent, cons prominent Conservative Michael Gove said that the sheer risk of using borrowed money to fund the tax cuts wasn't conservative. He also said cutting the top tax rate from 45 to 40 percent was wrong because of current economic challenges. Meanwhile, after the 45 percent rate cut U-turn was announced, the pound moved up. It's not pretty close to where it was before the tax cuts were announced. Bond yields also fall and making, making it cheaper for the government to borrow money. And in other news, foreign ownership of U.S. farmland is a threat to U.S. national security and food security. This says top Republicans in the House Agricultural and Oversight Committees. In a recent letter, more than 100 House Republicans asked the Government Accountability Office to investigate foreign investment in U.S. farmland. U.S. Department of Agriculture data shows that foreign individuals and entities own nearly 2% of all land in the U.S. The letter says, quote, a Chinese company's purchase of farmland in North Dakota near an Air Force base that is home to top-secret drone technology drives fears of foreign ownership of U.S. agricultural land. The letter also says that foreign investment in the U.S. could lead possibly to foreign control over food production and food prices. One of the most popular translation services in the world, Google Translate, is exiting China. It's its biggest internet market. Google says it's because of, quote, low usage. But is that the real reason? Indirisville Zhou reports. Who knew Google still had services running in China during a time when companies are getting banned or censored if they don't fall in line with the Chinese Communist Party? When an American business transact business with China, they're the boss, not the company. But Google still offers services such as the Chrome browser and Google Translate in China. However, not for long. Google confirmed that its Google Translation services are no longer available in the communist country. 
The tech giant says it's because of low usage. Chuck Flint, a former U.S. Senate chief of staff, says that's just an excuse. It's another example of the party tightening its reins ahead of, of the party Congress. Xi Jinping is on track to be elected to a third five-year term, which would be absolutely unprecedented. And he's going to make sure that nothing gets in his way. The upcoming CCP Congress is pretty much the meeting where all the Chinese leaders come together and decide the country's leadership and future. They want to avoid any type of criticism or dissent of the party. And you've seen more of it recently because you've had COVID lockdowns, you've had bank closures and the freezing of accounts. You've got a housing market that's in absolute freefall. Tech entrepreneur Bob Bilbrook says he doesn't think Google was going anywhere in China anyways. It was kind of an easy thing to give up. Um, when your product isn't doing well and um, Badu kind of dominates the search space in China, then you're not, you know, number one or number two in the market. Google's search engine was pulled from China back in 2010. Later on, China even banned Google's Gmail and Google Maps. But the tech giant hasn't completely left China yet. Its desktop web browser Google Chrome and a few other services are still available for now. Phil Zhou, NTD News. If you have any news, tips, or feedback for this show, you can email us, business at ntd.com. Still to come, stay with us. Hilton Hotels is teaming up with Peloton to add fitness equipment to more than 5,000 hotels in the United States. And Kim Kardashian has to pay up for allegedly improper crypto advertising. How much is she paying and what did she do? We have that and much more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Reality TV star Kim Kardashian has reached a settlement with the Securities and Exchange Commission. It's after she was charged with allegedly breaking the rules on cryptocurrency advertising. The agency is using the case to remind celebrities of their legal obligations when they endorse investment products. Anthony Sean Marshall has the details. Kim Kardashian has agreed to pay $1.26 million as part of a settlement with the Securities and Exchange Commission. The SEC says she did not disclose that she was paid $250,000 for a crypto ad she posted to Instagram in 2021. The token of crypto Kim K advertised was the Emacs token, a crypto asset security being offered by Ethereum Max. SEC Chairman Gary Gensler today published a video warning investors not to make investment decisions based solely on recommendations of a celebrity or influencer. Sometimes celebrities endorse investment opportunities like crypto tokens or special purpose acquisition companies. Celebrity endorsements though don't mean that an investment product is right for you or even frankly that it's legitimate. A press release from the SEC stated, 
The federal securities laws are clear that any celebrity or other individual who promotes a crypto asset security must disclose the nature, source, and amount of compensation they received in exchange for the promotion. I'll take celebrity endorsement. You should buy crypto. Trust me, I'm an actor. I'm in. Investing is not a game, so be careful where you get your advice. Sean Marshall, NTD News. And the rise of remote work could cause the value of New York City office buildings to come crashing down. We're talking in the billions. Researchers looked at commercial office sector in New York City and calculated the values of those buildings could sink by over $450 billion. Already the study from the National Bureau of Economic Research shows that property values declined 45% in 2020. They're expected to remain 39% below pre-pandemic levels. It's what they called the longer run. The head of a business advocacy group worries that the lost value could mean negative things for the city. New York relies on real estate tax revenues, so office buildings losing so much value will likely have a significant negative impact on the city's fiscal health. And Peloton users will be able to keep up with their exercise routines while on vacation. Well, that's if they stay at Hilton. The fitness equipment company announced a deal with Hilton that puts Peloton bikes in its 5,400 hotels in the United States. Roughly 300 Hiltons already have Peloton products, but officials say individual operators bought those. No details on the financial terms of the deal yet. Peloton shares, though, up nearly 8% today following the news. The bikes are expected to be delivered to the Hiltons within the next few weeks. As latest, the NTD business team and myself, Paul Graney. Can follow me on Twitter, though, if you're there. Oh, if you have any news tips, feedback for the show, email us, business at ntd.com. That's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.